Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development at QIC, and each Monday morning we join the Liquid Markets Group market meeting to get the latest update across all traded markets. Good morning, everyone. It is Monday, the 24th of August, and we start the week with 4,460 active corona cases in Australia, whilst globally we have now hit more than 23 million with over 806,000 deaths which is creating the extraordinary backdrop of how this health crisis is creating the contrast between the economic data and the market's performance. This has been a week where Victoria has unfortunately continued to struggle to control the spread of the virus, despite the strict lockdown measures with cases exceeding that 200 per day ceiling. And of course, the federal government has also been under some pressure around its aged care response, whilst also walking back their rhetoric for mandatory vaccinations that it signed an agreement with AstraZeneca to secure those Oxford University COVID vaccines. And whilst this economic news unfolded, we saw domestic mining firms such as Fortescue doing very well last week following multi-year highs for iron ore, with the market reacting to some expected infrastructure investment. Stuart, we might welcome you to the conversation, please. And what are you seeing as the key themes of being coming to the fore after the RBA, the Fed and the ECB all released their meeting minutes last week and continue to underwrite their respective economies? What does this all mean for asset prices? Thanks, Craig. Yeah, it was a fourth consecutive positive week on Wall Street and one where the S&P 500 hit an all-time high six months after the previous high on February 19. But last week was an uneven performance for risk assets globally with stocks across Europe and much of Asia losing ground. Uh, A regular narrative here has been that concentration of equity market performance within certain sectors and particularly mega cap US growth stocks. But Friday's performance from Apple really highlights the narrowness of the equity movies getting more and more conspicuous. Uh, In a week where Apple passed the $2 trillion valuation mark, it managed to add a further $127 billion to that measure by Friday's close ahead of the date of record for their stock split. Uh, Robert's going to talk more about the performance of the equity market, but Friday's contribution from Apple was really a more exaggerated version of the unevenness of the equity market move in the post-COVID environment. Uh, Over the past week, we've also had more reinforcement, as you mentioned, of central bank willingness to underwrite the economic recovery with that release of uh, central banking minutes. And while there was an element of surprise that asset markets were doing particularly well in an economy which is still facing many challenges from the pandemic second wave, uh, importantly for investors, there was no sensitivity uh, that their reflationary policies are arguably disproportionately being reflected in those surging asset prices. Discussions still lean towards providing more policy accommodation not less, uh, particularly when it comes to the US Federal Reserve. And we should hear more on this when we see Fed Chair Powell's speech at the virtual Jackson Hole Summit later this week, uh, a topic which Andrew is going to provide more context on shortly. Uh, Exchange rates are also in focus at the moment with the US dollar making a recovery late in the week. uh, And with the trajectory of new COVID cases moving in opposite directions between the US and Europe, there's more evidence that this is having a negative impact on that European recovery, allowing investors to question whether the US 
had indeed lost its pillar of growth exceptionalism. And this certainly makes for a less polarized currency market environment going forward with a bit more focus on that European recovery and also a reminder on the prospects for that post-Brexit trade deal which weighed on the pound late last week. Thanks, Stuart. And just quickly on currencies, are you seeing any sort of particular theme starting to emerge as this macro backdrop develops uh, in the currency markets? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been talking in recent weeks about those um, pillars which have underlined US exceptionalism, and they retain that pillar in terms of asset market performance, particularly um, corporate earnings and um, with those that concentration of mega cap growth stocks. Um, we effectively suggested that their, their pillar of economic outperformance had dimmed due to that second wave of the pandemic. But US economic performance has actually still managed to surprise quite strongly, um, particularly in some of the numbers that we saw out of the residential housing market last week. So the economic performance while there are still immense challenges that the Federal Reserve uh, recognised, of course, it's managed to rebound and sustain that rebound more strongly than investors have expected. And in the meantime, we've seen that that European economic rebound starting to face challenges, and that's coming through from those flash market PMI numbers. So it's certainly a very interesting environment at the moment, and one which investors need to really question how far the US dollar can move lower in that environment. Fantastic insight. Thank you, Stuart. Robert, can we please welcome to the conversation and good morning to you. We're continuing to see the big tech drive the US equity markets with both the MASDAQ and the S&P 500 hitting some new benchmarks. But can you give us an overview of what's driving all this? And is it masking the general market performance as Stuart alluded to in his comments earlier? And whilst you've got the microphone, we'd love an update on those precious metals as well, please. Yeah, Craig, I mean, Stu really outlined what's been happening over the last week. And I guess I had last week off and I come back and it's pretty much the same, same in terms of big tech dragging the US equity markets higher. Uh, on the week, we had NASDAQ up 3.6%, the S&P up 90 basis points. And I think what's really astounding is the top five mega caps. So these are the really big growth firms. They now represent 23% of the S&P index, and that's up 7% from the beginning of the year, even pre-COVID. What further reinforces the narrowness of the rally is that last week, if you held an equally weighted basket of S&P 500 stocks, that index would have actually fallen 1.5% rather than rallying the 90 basis points that we actually saw. I guess more globally, we've seen the UK and the European equities uh, fall approximately 1% while the Aussie market managed to post a small gain of 50 basis points. In equity volatility, it seems to be refusing to drop despite uh, seeing realised volatility of approximately 10% over the last month. And so the VIX is still maintaining that sort of stubborn level of just above 20% volatility. In precious metals, we had a real week of consolidation in terms of very quiet markets. Gold finished down 30 basis points, silver was up 1%. But in the context of what we've seen over the past month, it was very, very quiet. Thanks, Robert. Andrew, we might ask you to bring us up today, please, on policy, fixed income, sovereign bonds and inflation. Um, And perhaps the biggest event for the week ahead will be the annual Jackson Hole Symposium, where Fed Chairman Powell will be giving a a speech reviewing monetary policy. What are you expecting? 
Thanks, Craig. I'll give a little bit of update on nominal bonds and inflation markets to start, and then we'll cover off on, on Jackson Hole. So nominal interest rate markets over the week, um, yields were a little bit lower, um, bonds were a little bit higher in price. It was largely driven by a stronger US dollar and also some softness in the energy and industrial commodity complexes. So Aussie 10-year yields were around five basis points lower. The US 10-year yields around eight basis points lower. And curves bull flattened last week with the 530s curve in the US sending the week around eight basis points flatter. So this improvement in uh, in in or lower yields and higher bond prices came despite improving economic data in the US also as market participants really used any short-term bounce in yields to short cover duration um, and interest rates continued to fall on the back of that. So as Stu alluded to, um, the economic data in, the, in Europe was somewhat softer, so the PMIs in Europe were weaker, but this was in stark contrast to the US where the data was actually a, a lot better last week. So services PMI was strong and the underlying employment component was strong, manufacturing uh, PMIs in the US climbed to their highest reading since January 2019. And as Stu alluded to earlier, the US existing home sales surged in July, and that was the highest pace since um, early 2006. So you had to go back to pre-GFC to get a better reading than that. But all of this continued improvement in uh, the economic data uh, continues to remain this um, this struggle between, this divergence between virus and economic outcomes. And we're seeing it in Europe at the moment also. So Hungary's announced to further lockdowns and border restrictions. And Angela Merkel was out in the press over the weekend warning that lockdowns in Europe must come at any cost. And so in light of that, um, inflation markets also took a little bit of a breather last week. So US 10-year uh, break-even inflation expectations were a couple lower. Uh, Europe was around five basis points lower. And this weakness in um, inflation markets was partly a function of a softer US 30-year auction last week and no update in the FOMC minutes with regard to the Fed's review of monetary policy framework. But overall, though, we remain um, near-term constructive on US inflation markets. Some, some near-term catalysts include... Um, a large month-end index extension, no long-end supply in the US now in inflation markets for the next six months or so. So there's that improving supply-demand dynamic um, with the Fed continuing to be in, in that market backstopping inflation will should provide some kind of positive catalyst. But as Stu alluded to earlier, it's all about central banks and central bank liquidity. And central bank liquidity continues to remain the, the biggest driver of asset prices. And in that regard, the US Federal Reserve, um, they are are an important part of that given they're the largest central bank and so anything any policy actions on that front should continue to provide or underpin expected return of asset prices going forward. Last week we got the the July FOMC minutes from the Fed. Uh, they didn't add a lot of colour from what we'd um, heard previously and market participants were somewhat underwhelmed with the current or the by the current state of Fed communication. So that we know that the Federal Reserve will continue to underpin um, this recovery with extraordinary monetary policy, accommodative monetary policy. And we saw that and they reiterated that again last week. But we're really hoping for some sort of appetizer with regard to the Federal Reserve Board's monetary policy review framework. And we didn't really get that. But as Joe alluded to, we'll hopefully get that this week when uh, Thursday's Jackson Hole Economic Symposium where uh, Fed Chairman Powell will hopefully let the rabbit out of the hat or or more preferably given how we're positioned the inflation genie. And so Fed's speech is titled Monetary Policy Framework Review. And we expect the chairman to provide uh, clear guidance on how the Fed will, the policy, the Fed will changes will likely announce uh, next, at next September's meeting. And so we expect the FOMC to formally adopt a flexible form of average inflation targeting at the September meeting, and this will be likely be implemented by a revision to the statement of longer run goals. We don't 
the July min meeting minutes reiterated skepticism around the use of yield curve control measures. So we expect it's unlikely that they'll adopt some form of yield curve control in, in the short term. But all in all, it's a, it's a big week for um, the Federal Reserve and therefore asset prices going forward. Thanks, Andrew. Um, Richard, we might bring you to the conversation, stay in the US to begin with before our heading more domestically with regards to those credit and global macro markets. Can you give us an update, please, on the resilience you're seeing in the credit spreads in the US? Yeah, good morning, Craig. Uh, yeah, as, as you alluded to, spreads remained in a holding pattern last week, and that was despite a large pickup in supply as corporates continue to term out their maturities. So issuance for last week was 36 bill. Um, so far for the month, we've had 120 billion of issuance, and this is already above the estimate for August of between 90 to 100 bill. So in the face of this high supply and the ongoing uncertainty around further fiscal stimulus spreads have been very resilient and really underpinned by demand. Uh, of particular note is the lower rated cohorts of investment grade and high yield, which have so far outperformed in, in August. And then switching locally, you know, the major theme out of last week was supply. So we had over three and a half bill printing and bank and insurance tier two um, supply dominated. Uh, demand for issuance was very, very strong. We saw all deals multiple times oversubscribed and printing well inside initial price talk. Uh, and I think, you know, this really highlights that the Australian market is certainly not immune from the current reach for yield frenzy that we're we're seeing occur globally. Uh, and just finally looking ahead this week, you know, there, there looks to be some more supply on the way. Um, Horizon, Suncorp and Qantas will all hold investor calls for potential new deals. Thanks, Richard. Phil, we might get into the uh, bottom up, please. And uh, this week we've had headlines in Australia, such as investors are upbeat about the earnings seasons from hell as it enters the home stretch. What's your take? Yeah, Craig, so I was reporting we're about, or we're just under two thirds of the way through of the ASX 200 um, constituents. Uh, so we've still got another week or two of, of decent reporting. And actually, so far, I would say it's it's a fairly subdued in terms of against the US, where we saw over 80% of companies um, beating on earnings consensus, whereas in Australia, it's it's a fairly large miss ratio. So we have about only 31% of companies beating on earnings so far. It's a greater number on revenue, about 65% beating on revenue estimates, which is around average. But certainly the miss, the earnings misses are quite significant. And the average miss is around 26 26% lower than consensus. So from that perspective, I would say it's, it's actually not a great season so far for domestic reporting. Um, and it's, it's quite notable that it is a, a broad-based um, the, yeah, the, the number of companies below consensus is quite broad based. So really only utilities where the majority of companies are beating consensus and most other sectors are well below 50% um, against consensus. In terms of growth, um, so the market again is fairly soft. So we've had uh, earnings falling 22% in the June half. So that's against the same half last year. And again, that's quite broad based. But if you think about it for, for credit on the whole, it's actually better than the headline story would suggest. So the results of key domestic issuers have generally been solid from a credit perspective. And we've talked about this through the season on some of the individual issuers and, and companies reporting. So Richard has certainly elaborated on the banks over the last week or so. So their results have been, despite earnings being lower, um, 
understandably lower. Their capital remains very strong and, and quite resilient. Um, and they're definitely very well funded with the deposit inflows. The fact that they don't have to issue because of the term funding facility, they don't have to issue senior unsecured. So that's all supportive of their spreads. And in corporates as well, despite the headwinds that COVID's presenting, the credit profiles are continuing to be reinforced, um, particularly around equity raisings where necessary. So we saw that from uh, Sydney Airport, the Moreca covers, and also earlier on, we saw it from Qantas. Um, the company is continuing to take active measures to preserve cash flows as well. So on the whole for credit still, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're decent results, um, but the equity side, I would say the headline results are probably a little, um, yeah, quite subdued for this season. Thank you, Phil, for that uh, company update. And in summary for everyone, um, are we starting to see those global equity markets begin to reflect the mixed economic data and our day-to-day experiences with only those tech stocks really rallying hard. And of course, domestically, as Phil just uh, mentioned to us, it's been a bit of a disappointing earnings season thus, thus far, particularly for equity holders. And we all look forward now to the US outlook and with those infamous Jackson Hole Symposium talks and the monetary policy guidance coming through there. Thank you for listening to us today on the Market Moments podcast and have a super week ahead.